Should we be listening to today's prophets within the church, or should we rebuke them? Why can they not be 100% accurate as they had to be in Bible times? No, we are here to make sure heaven comes to earth. Jesus' prayer and the way he taught us prayer is going to be answered fully. <laughs> praying right? for 2,000 years. I don't think people fully understand what they're praying. Right. That he is serious about his right. kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, Radio for the Remnant, brought to you by Olive Tree Ministries. Today we look at the modern-day apostle and prophet movement within the church. We are carrying a new book by co-authors Holly Pivak and Doug Guyvett, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices in the Church. The authors expose the methods and theology of the New Apostolic Reformation, one of the fastest-growing church movements ever. Just who are these leaders and what are they saying? We expose much of it in this uninterrupted hour. Here is Jan Markell with today's programming. Welcome to the program. So glad you can join me today. And we're going to spend the hour on a sensitive but necessary topic, looking at the New Apostolic Reformation, also known as NAR or just NAR. And the movement is not particularly new. It is an offshoot can go back all the way to the 1940s Latter Rain Movement, which was influenced by a man by the name of William Branham. So the New Apostolic Reformation is not theologically sound, and the Bible for them is oftentimes not sufficient. They might rely on signs, wonders, miracles, healings. And the present-day movement started several decades ago by C. Peter Wagner, and they teach that apostles and prophets must govern the church. It is an experience-driven movement. There is really no headquarters, although many would point to the Bethel Church in Redding, California, under the leadership of Bill Johnson. And you've heard me talk about them on this program quite often. And let me quickly add here that this is not a chastisement of the entire charismatic and Pentecostal stream of theology and churches. There are many in that stream who are very opposed to what's going on within the New Apostolic Reformation, and they do see it as experiential and not focused on the Bible. Bill Johnson separated from the Assemblies of God back in the 1990s. Some NAR practices, and I'm going to talk about one here for a second, it's called grave soaking, are denounced by almost all denominations, including in the Pentecostal charismatic stream of theology. So now that I've said that term, grave soaking, what is it? It's when people who believe in this kind of amazing nonsense are going to gravitate towards the grave of some saint who's passed on. They're going to lay on the grave or touch the grave or sit by the grave and hope to soak up the spirit of the deceased Christian leader. In this case, I'll play a clip right now. And some Bethel students, this would be in the U.K., are soaking over the grave of Smith Wigglesworth. It's very short. I'll come back and then I'll bring my guests on. Here we are at Smith Wigglesworth's grave um, in Bradford. It's up the, the other end of England. You might not be able to come here naturally, but you can certainly feel it supernaturally what's happened in this man's life. And it's funny, all of us students, when we came here, the thing that we felt was uh, that like the raising of the dead power and the gift of faith came on us. And some students were leaning over the back of the grave and they felt a grace and a faith just rest on them. It's funny, isn't it? How, you know, Elijah, um, I think someone put the, the, bo the person's bones on his bones and they got raised up to life. When you come into a place where the Holy Spirit was on a person, he still exists there. He still keeps the heritage of the person's life. And 
he can see he had his whole family buried with him. Um, but this is the man, this is Mr. Wigglesworth. And, and the history of this man is a history of miracles and great faith and a restoration of the miraculous anointing into the Church of England and also across the whole world. So that was a little example of grave soaking that happened to be in the UK, but it is an offshoot of the Bethel Outreach in Redding, California. I have gotten acquainted in recent weeks with my two guests for the hour, authors Holly Pivick and Doug Guyvett. And Holly is a blogger, speaker, pastor's wife, and homeschooling mom. She has authored several books. We're going to focus on one this hour. That would be the book I have in front of me, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices in the Church. Then Doug Guyvett is a professor, now emeritus, at Biola University and Talbot School of Theology, and his books focus on apologetics. He is co-author of this book. Could your church be a part of this new apostolic reformation? Does your church play the music from this movement, and is that okay? How about Bethel music, Hillsong, Elevation? We'll hopefully have time to discuss that. One more comment, then I bring my guests on. I don't see anything in the Bible about apostles for the church age, other than obviously the biblical apostles. John the Baptist was the last prophet, though there are many hundreds self-proclaimed prophets today in this stream. Hebrews 1.1 says, In times past, the Bible and God spoke through prophets, but in the last days he speaks through his son. So we're going to try to hit some scripture, I hope a lot of it. Holly and Doug, welcome to the program for the first time. Thanks so much for having us on, Jan. Good to be with you. Thank you. Holly, let me address this to you. We're going to go back and forth, and you two feel free to answer as you are comfortable. But apostles and prophets, the NAR teaches, are key to a church. Members of a church submit to these apostles and prophets, and supposedly these apostles and prophets bring new revelation Can you tell me where does the Bible say that churches and members are to submit to an apostle and take heed from a modern-day prophet? It doesn't say that anywhere. Almost the sole scripture that leaders in this movement will point to and support their teaching that apostles and prophets are supposed to govern the church is Ephesians 4.11. So there's a core teaching called fivefold ministry in this movement, which is the belief that there are five governing offices that God has given to govern the church through all generations, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they base that on Ephesians 4.11, which doesn't actually say anything at all about governing offices. It's not talking about that, but that's the verse they point to. And what they'll say is that two of those offices, two of the five apostles and prophets have been missing through the centuries. So it's kind of like a hand A hand usually has five fingers, but it's been missing two. So in order for the church to have what it needs in place to bring God's kingdom to earth, apostles and prophets need to be restored. And then supernatural power can be restored to the church because these apostles and prophets claim they're giving critical new revelation that all Christians need so they can develop miraculous power. So every Christian can learn to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, even learn to work greater miracles than Jesus worked, according to the teachings of this movement. And through these supernatural powers and the spiritual warfare that they're claiming to equip their followers to wage, they can then bring heaven to earth or bring God's kingdom to earth. We're going to get into that here momentarily. Doug, the original apostles were commissioned by Jesus And they were an eyewitness for the resurrected Lord. And the original prophets had to be 100% right. 
And particularly that Part B that I just said, the original prophets had to be 100% right. Today's prophets are wrong more than they're right. What do you make of that? That is a problem. It's a very serious problem. Deuteronomy chapter 18 stipulates that if a prophet is not accurate in all that he predicts as part of his prophetic ministry, then he is not a prophet speaking for God. He is not of God. We don't see anywhere in Scripture where that requirement of perfect accuracy in foretelling or prophesying the future has been lifted, and that would then apply to anyone who pretends to be a prophet in the same tradition today or in the New Testament era. Now, what many NAR prophets and apostles will say, teachers in this movement, in fact, I think most would say this, is that prophets can make mistakes, that yes, it's true that for the Hebrew tradition in the Old Testament, prophets were required to be accurate and be disqualified if they failed. And by the way, not only disqualified, but God ordered that they should be stoned Mm -hmm. to death, executed. It was that serious of an offense. But something changed with the New Testament prophets, and now it's permissible to grow in the prophetic and to discover your prophetic potential gradually and develop it over time and through trial and error and make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And prophets need to be testing one another as a way to curb excesses and mistakes. So they think they can point to some support in the New Testament for fallibility among God's prophets in the New Testament and today. But that, of course, is a mistake. We think that they have distorted the Scripture. Here is Patricia King. She is a part of this stream, and to her credit, she is talking here about the pandemic, COVID. She says, why did none of the prophets pick up on this? And once they did pick up on it, she rightfully criticizes. They said, everything will be okay. We've got this this global pandemic happening. Um, The economy tanked. People were out of jobs everywhere. People are dying everywhere. And um, it doesn't seem that hardly any prophets picked up on it. At least it wasn't decreed. Then once it happened, we were getting uh, prophetic uh, words that were saying everything's going to be okay. It's not a big deal. It's going to be fine. And of course, um, you know, people ended up dying and um, our nations were very much impacted by it. The economies were impacted by it. And so, of course, um, the, the prophetic credibility is in question. Holly, it would be nice when they see the obvious, as Patricia King has here and articulately so stated, that they might say, maybe the stream isn't the most reliable, but they don't say that. No, they don't say that. As Doug explained, you can be considered a genuine prophet in this movement. And even if you make mistakes, some very high profile prophets, Chris Valentin, who's the chief prophet at Bethel Church in Redding, California, the right-hand man to the Apostle Bill Johnson there, Chris Valentin predicted that President Trump would win a second consecutive term in office in 2020, and he apologized after the fact, but he also said he didn't think that that disqualified him as being a prophet. So it's very common for leaders in this movement to make prophecies like that and get it wrong, and their followers still regard them as genuine prophets. We can play that clip. And again, this is a couple years old, folks, but it's still a very profound clip. And various ones of them, Jeremiah Johnson and others here, Kat Carter, let's just play this clip. And this validates what Holly has just said. Trump will be president, 
No matter what you hear. You know, Author and prophet Kat Kerr told the Elijahless Steve Schultz that the prophets did not get it wrong. She says God is getting ready to uncover corruption and evil. She says it will be a landslide of exposure. It'll start with a phone call, and I can tell you, you will be shocked to see how much exposure comes from that. But Trump will win. He wow. will be president of the United States. He will sit in that office for four more years, and God will have his way in this country. Kerr is not alone. Prophet Jeremiah Johnson believes before Trump is declared the winner, Joe Biden may prematurely announce that he is the next president of the United States. He wrote to his followers, quote, either a lying spirit has filled the mouths of numerous trusted prophetic voices in America, or Donald J. Trump really has won the presidency, and we are witnessing a diabolical and evil plan unfold to steal the election. At 4.30, the Lord said to me, I am going to give your president a second win. Whoa! Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Denise Goulet spoke those words over President Trump while he attended the International Church of Las Vegas. She joined a chorus of other prophetic voices that believe God told them Trump will win, including CBN's Pat Robertson. I want to say without question, Trump is going to win the election. In the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 7, it says God does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And these prophetic voices say, it ain't over. You are listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Mark Hill, and we are carrying a new book. It's in my online store. You can find it at olivetreeviews.org, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, New Age Practices in the Church. I am privileged to have both authors on the line with me, Holly Pivak, from a climate colder than Minneapolis. She's from Alaska right now. Co-author, Douglas Guyvet. You can find the book, as I said, olivetreeviews.org, call my office. Doug, I've got your book open right now to page 58. Here you say, but for now it is important to understand that those who hold these church offices possess tremendous authority. Because they possess such great authority, they should not claim to be exempt from the Old Testament test for prophecy. So the burden of proof is on them to show that the fulfillment text was canceled a burden none of the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation prophets, have met. Doug, they just seem to get a huge pass. Can you understand the mentality here that, again, this huge pass from the biblical standard? Well, it is difficult to understand it and to make sense of why people would continue to believe and follow these leaders and give them a pass yeah. when they fail, when they have flunked the test. I think it has something to do with a lack of knowledge of Scripture and a decision to test their claims against Scripture. Not only do they have a burden of proof regarding the expiration of God's standards for prophets, as you just quoted there, but they have a burden of proof regarding their apostolic and prophetic claims to begin with, and that's a burden that they have not shouldered. They do not present evidence of the right kind, that they are God's actual apostles mm -hmm. and prophets for this generation. There are things they will say, but they're not compelling. For example, they will say that they had a visitation from God, or that they were taken to the courts of heaven, and they had a vision, or they were visited in some fashion or other. But it's all private. It cannot be corroborated. And there are all sorts of things that could explain it, even if it did happen, and we can't even be sure it did happen. Yeah. 
And yet on that basis, their own testimony, we're supposed to believe that they have the utmost authority at the highest level of church organization. That's not good enough. For prophets, they might say, as long as I'm giving a prophecy that is compatible with Scripture, then you can believe it. No, compatibility does not entail truth. I can say things that are compatible with what the Scripture says because maybe the Scriptures have nothing to say on that topic. And yet, if I claim that it must be true because it's compatible, that simply doesn't follow. That's not logically correct. I want to see other connections with the prophetic tradition, and I want to see other evidence that an individual is a prophet. So these means of supporting their claim to have this kind of authority are specious and weak. And when people stop and ask the question, just exactly what support can they offer for their claims to have this authority, then they will see for themselves that it doesn't stack up either logically or against the standards of Scripture. Let me address this question to Holly, because NAR leaders, New Apostolic Reformation, say that if you submit to these apostles and prophets, followers will receive new revelation. Can you help us understand what do they mean, new revelation? I get the sense that the Bible isn't sufficient, that we need this new kind of revelation. Help us understand this. Often what they're talking about is our critical new revelations, which they'll describe as strategies that the church supposedly needs to bring God's kingdom to earth. So the reason that the church hasn't been able to finish the Great Commission all these years, which they've redefined as bringing God's kingdom to earth, the reason we haven't been able to do that yet is the apostles and prophets haven't been here to give us the strategies, the revelation. One of those strategies, for example, is the seven-mount mandate. Mm -hmm. According to this revelation, God gave the strategy that NAR apostles must rise to the top of society's seven major societal institutions, which they call mountains. So government, media, family, business, education, church, and the arts. And once the apostles hold the top posts in these institutions, then they can cast out the high-ranking demonic spirits, the territorial spirits, they would say, that rule over those institutions. And then through those institutions, God's kingdom can be brought to earth. That's an example of one very popular revelation in this movement that is given. So they give revelations of that nature. They're like strategies. They also give revelations to individuals. So sometimes prophets will give them guidance on maybe who to marry, where to live. So there's different types of revelation. You used a term that we need to take a look at, and that is kingdom now, dominion bringing heaven to earth. If you go to the website of Bethel Church, it will hit you right away. That's what the homepage shows. We're bringing heaven to earth. The theology behind that, which is dominion theology, says that the church, given enough time and the right kind of leaders and workers, will make the planet perfect. Folks, it's a fallen planet. Only Jesus returned when he comes in the second coming and establishes the millennium. Will he make this planet near perfect? That really doesn't happen until the new heavens and the new earth. But here again, this is Patricia King, and here she's talking to Cheon about the seriousness of bringing God's kingdom in heaven to earth. The beauty of apostolic authority, when it's exercised, it actually brings shifts. It brings light into the darkness. It creates those things that are not 
You know, it, it's like bringing forth the kingdom. And that's the beauty of the apostolic authority that every believer has that apostolic oil in them. Yes. Um, and, and if we would all exercise it, we wouldn't say, oh, I need to escape the darkness. Everything's going to get worse and worse. But we would know, no, we are here to make sure heaven comes to earth. Jesus' Amen. prayer and the way he taught us prayer is going to be answered fully. <laughs> praying right? 2,000 years. I don't think people fully understand what they're praying. Right. That he is serious about his right. kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Holly, I think one of the things that the New Apostolic Reformation does like to stress, and I know they believe this in their heart, and that is there is coming the greatest revival across the globe that we've ever seen. And part of this revival, of course, is going to bring heaven to earth. I believe there's a revival. It's in what we call the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, when those people who are left behind after the rapture of the church, millions of them do get saved. To me, that's the next revival. I certainly could be wrong. And if there's a coming revival in the church before that, praise the Lord. I just don't see that in the Bible. But give me your thoughts on this. That's another revelation in this movement that's very popular. It's known as the Billion Soul Harvest. Mm -hmm. Prophets like Bob Jones and Paul Kane are very revered in this movement, despite the fact they had significant moral failures. But they continue to be highly revered. And they talked about this billion soul harvest that was coming where a billion people would convert to Christianity because they would see all these amazing miracles that are being performed by the apostles and prophets and stadiums would be filled with people watching these miracles occur, these amazing miracles of healing and things like that. And those would be broadcast on television all over the world and it would cause a billion people to convert to belief in Christ and bring about this great end time revival and bring in God's kingdom. We talk about this in chapter of our book and how in Nar eschatology, their view of the end times theology is that it's known as victorious eschatology, that the church is going to be this glorious overcoming church that's working signs and wonders and miracles and is going to bring God's kingdom to earth through that. So that's the distinctive eschatology of this movement. And they do have a kingdom now dominionist theology, as you were describing. Doug, you want to comment on that? Just note the texture of this is optimism, expectation that things are getting better, not worse, that the apostles and prophets will be strategic to the realization of this hopeful vision that is not described in anything like the kind of detail that they suggest. There are three sources of error, as I see it, among our teachers. Two of them have to do with how the scriptures are used, and then one is a separate issue. In terms of their handling of Scripture first, they simply make mistakes in their interpretation. Mm -hmm. If you are a Berean in your posture, you should be examining the things that they say against the Scriptures and especially studying closely in context all of the passages that they point to when they make their claims. And you will see on careful inspection, that there is a departure from the natural proper sense of what the passage is saying and teaching. So that's the first source of error. The second source of error comes when they go to the Scriptures, but they bring their own subjective and private experiential interpretations to the Scriptures. And they do this on the basis of believing that in their preparations, when they were reading the pages, the Holy Spirit breathed on those pages during their encounter with the Scriptures and illuminated their minds with new understanding. So this is understanding that comes not from private study and personal examination, but from an outside source that they attribute to the Holy Spirit. 
giving them impressions about what it means. And here again, we have a departure from the plain sense of Scripture. So that's a second source of error. And then the third source of error are the extra-biblical revelations they receive apart from Scripture because they are apostles or prophets. If you've just joined me, you're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell. You just heard the voice of Doug Guyvet, Professor Emeritus, Biola University, Talbot School of Theology. And Holly Pivick is with me from Alaska because we're talking about the book We Are Carrying, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, New Age Practices in the Church. Online store, olivetreeviews.org, olivetreeviews.org. Call my office. If you'd like to be in touch with Holly, do so at hollypivic, P-I-V-E-C, dot com. You will find her other books on the same topic, different books, however, at hollypivic.com. And you can reach Doug if you'd like to dialogue at DougGivet, G-E-I-V-E-T-T dot com. If you'd like to ask them questions or even take up an issue with them. Also, we are pleased to announce that Olive Tree Ministries has our own app. It's available in the App Store for Apple devices and the Play Store for Android You can search for Olive Tree Ministries and look for our logo, the Star and Dove. The app will provide easy access to our radio programs. You can live stream our bi-monthly events. You can read our news headlines and go straight to our social media channels. One more announcement. We had such an informative evening with Pastor Brandon Holthouse two weeks ago at our bi-monthly Understanding the Times. You can get a DVD of the event. For just $10 in our online store, allow two or three days, or view it at no cost at olivetreeviews.org, then to video. It's also posted to our YouTube channel and Rumble. One more clip from another prophet. His name is Bill Hammond. And here he's going to say, and folks, this is where I get terribly upset, because he's going to say all the prophet world, they're preparing the way for Jesus to come back. Jesus will come back when God the Father says it's time. It has nothing to do with us. Quite frankly, that last Gentile has to get saved. And whoever you are, I wish you would hurry up because then we can all go to heaven in the rapture of the church. Don't you believe that the, the prophetic is more important now than any time in history? Absolutely. Uh, what I, the revelation God gave me in 1983 was that he was going to raise up a company of prophets in the power and the spirit of Elijah's Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet, and he'll prepare the way and make ready a people before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Well, Jesus said John the Baptist fulfilled that on a personal level, mm-hmm. and he became the prophet that prepared the way for Jesus to be manifest as a Messiah. But now he prepared the way for one Messiah to come. Now the whole company of prophets preparing the way for Jesus to come again. Yeah. But to prepare the way, we have to get the revelation of the mysteries and the purposes that have to be fulfilled. And Acts 3.21 says, Jesus is held in the heavens. This is emphasis of the book here. Held in the heavens until the restoration of all things that God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So we had to have the prophets reactivated to prophesy uh, what's been prophesied and tell us where we're at, what's going on. And that's been my main ministry for 60 years is where the church came from, where we're at, and where we're going. 
Holly, you want to comment on that? Basically saying that the whole company of prophets are going to prepare the way for Jesus to come a second time. Apparently he means perhaps second coming. I'm waiting for the rapture. But your thoughts? Bill Hammond is very influential prophet in this movement. And he has taught, along with many other NAR leaders, that God has been restoring truth to the church that have been lost through the centuries. So starting with the Protestant Reformation and then now ongoing since then, God has been restoring through modern day apostles and prophets these critical truths that the church supposedly had in the first generation and since lost. One of those truths that God has restored allegedly is that apostles and prophets are supposed to govern the church. You hit on moments ago the seven mountain mandate. And folks, if you hear that term, You might just look into it because it probably indicates that these folks would be members or participants or advocates of, again, we're talking for the hour about the New Apostolic Reformation. Sometimes it's just called NAR. Sometimes it's called NAR. It started in the 1940s. It was called Latter Rain. And then in the late 70s, 80s, C. Peter Wagner put a new name on it, New Apostolic Reformation. When he passed away, he passed a mantle to people like Chuck Pierce, Jay Ahn, Rick Joyner, Cindy Jacobs, John Arnott, Mike Bickle, Bill Johnson, Jennifer LeClaire, Kat Kerr. Kat Kerr, by the way, goes to heaven sometimes many times a day and has conversations with God. Please just ask some questions about the practicality and the reality of some of the experiential things that they do claim are happening. But Holly, it would also be known as third wave. We already said kingdom now. Joel's army, manifest sons of God. These movements, they start in the 40s and then intensify as we come along here. Yeah, the core in our teachings were taught in the latter rain movement, post-World War II era. And the Assemblies of God actually issued a paper, condemned the teachings, and so they kind of fizzled out, went underground. But prophets started resurfacing in independent charismatic churches in the 1980s. Apostles started resurfacing in the 1990s. So by 2001, C. Peter Wagner, who was a major apostle in this movement and coined the name New Apostolic Reformation, so many churches embraced apostles and prophets by 2001. He said that the second apostolic age began that year. But it's important for people to realize that many people who are part of this movement have never heard the term New Apostolic Reformation. Even many leaders in this movement will deny that they're part of the New Apostolic Reformation. So it's not so much the use of the name, it's whether they hold to these core teachings about apostles and prophets governing the church. That's what would say whether somebody's NAR or not, not whether they would acknowledge or admit that. Going back to Seven Mountain Mandate, which came along mid-70s, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham apparently came up with this. And we're going to take dominion, as you rightly stated, over religion, education, family, government, media, entertainment, and business. We will then shape nations and make the world perfect. I mean, that's the sentiment and the theology behind it. We're going to shape nations. And if we take dominion over these seven mountains, we will then usher in the return of Christ. Folks, this program looks at the return of Christ almost every week and These folks are terribly off base, but I do want to clarify, and Doug, if you would comment too, this hour is not designed to be an attack hour. I mean, obviously we're contending for the faith. Obviously we're calling out some people who are steeped in serious theological error. At the same time, I've gotten to know the two of you here in the last few days. I've read your book, Cover to Cover, Counterfeit Kingdom, and you two are not in an attack mode. I believe you're in an information mode. You're trying to alert people and contend for the faith that there's a segment of the church 
that has gone terribly wrong, and it's hurting, in fact, ruining some very precious lives. Doug, you address that, please. That's right. And we advocate for the Berean perspective that I mentioned earlier. The Bereans were believers described in the book of Acts who were visited by the apostle Paul. They were determined to check everything that he taught them against their understanding of the Hebrew Bible, the scriptures that were then available. The New Testament had not yet been written. They are held forth as an example for the rest of the church that they were noble, more noble than the Thessalonians. And that's interesting to me because Paul commends the Thessalonians himself in his first epistle to that church in Thessalonica, saying that he commends them for receiving the Word of God for what it is to be the Word of God that can transform lives. They had welcomed the message, too, in Scripture, but what the Bereans did was they demonstrated this sensitivity to the need to check up on Paul's credentials and to be sure that he was who he claimed to be and that he was teaching the truth. Because if you want to believe something new that's being said, there are two basic requirements. First, you want to see that this individual is reliable in teaching what you already know to be true. So in his handling of sources that you accept, if he seems sound in that regard, that's some support for trusting him in new matters. But also, there should be some connection between what is new and what is old, so that what is new can be seen foreshadowed in what is old, and the apostle was able to help them see that in their own scriptures. This is something that apostles today or prophets today are not able to do. When they offer new revelation, it is completely disconnected from the prophetic tradition recorded for us in scripture, historically preserved in scripture. There's no linkage Mm -hmm. between the prophetic tradition of scripture and now they're upstart prophets who are launching new streams of prophecy. We speak in one of our books, our older book, of the great chain of revelation and how one prophet or tradition of prophets would give people reasons to expect future prophecy and criteria for recognizing it in fulfillment. And this happened all the way through to the fulfillment of Messianic prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if a prophet that is in that stream forecast the emergence of another prophet whose message will contain certain elements, then of course we're to be looking for those. But now here we are, centuries later, with upstart prophets trying to insert themselves into the stream, but they have no connection with the chain. So the link has been broken, and yet they presume to carry on the tradition. You can reach Doug Guyvet at DougGuyvet.com, Holly Pivik, if you'd like to communicate or correspond, Holly Pivik, P-I-V-E-C, dot com. Again, we are carrying the book, Counterfeit Kingdom, in my online store. Holly, I think what I would like to do, and I'm going to direct this question to you. By the way, folks, we're going to get to the music here in just a minute, because I suspect you're in a church that's playing some music from the New Apostolic Reformation, Bethel music, Hillsong, Elevation, perhaps. Holly, if someone is listening today and they suspect There's something about my church that I haven't been able to quite understand. I'm uncomfortable with. Let's just leave it there. How would they know, and please take your time with your answer, that they actually are sitting in a church that's New Apostolic Reformation? What is it they should look for? What is it that would be obvious? Please help that person, would you? The dead giveaway would be if their church is teaching that 
the governing offices yeah. of apostle and prophet are for today. But other things to look for is are leaders in their church or leaders elsewhere being referred to by leaders of their church as apostles and prophets. Pentecostals and Charismatics will refer to apostles and prophets, but when they do so, they might be referring to apostles like missionaries or church planners and prophets or people who might have the miraculous or spiritual gift of prophecy. But they're not talking about people who are authoritative apostles and prophets who are governing the church, bringing critical new revelation. But these can be clues to listen for if they use terms like apostle and prophet. Find out what they mean by that. Listen closely. The adjectives apostolic and prophetic are often signs of NAR influence. There are many buzzwords that you can listen for or types of teachings. Like if you hear the term fivefold ministry, we mentioned that as the core teaching of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that are supposed to govern the church. Sometimes, though, they won't use the term fivefold ministry. They might say Ephesians 4.11 ministries, since that teaching comes from Ephesians 4.11, they would say. There's these buzzwords to look out for. We list a number of those in our book. There's also practices to look out for. So if they're making prayer declarations, that's a very common practice in this movement. Prayer declarations are very different than prayer in the Bible. Prayer in the Bible is petitionary. You're asking God, if it's his will, God, will you please heal this person? But you're asking God. Declaration prayers are actually speaking words that are believed to create reality. They would say that God will heal someone, that that type of declaration, or bring about financial resources. So the way they pray is a real clue if they're using prayer declarations. Practices like SOZO, S-O-Z-O, that's an inner healing and deliverance ministry that's been popularized by Bethel Church and spread throughout the world, where people make sessions with prophetic ministers. If they're having some kind of emotional problems or spiritual problems, then the prophetic ministers who are trained often by Bethel will claim that they're able to uncover the root cause of people's psychological or emotional problems and that God will prophetically reveal that to them. Look for terms. Look for also leaders. If a church is promoting leaders like Bill Johnson or Chris Felton or if they're promoting Bethel Church in Reading, if they're promoting people like Mike Bickle from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri, Randy Clark from Global Awakening, Cheon, you've already mentioned Patricia King, Kat Kerr. There are a number of leaders in this movement, and we identify many of those in our book. So if they're bringing these apostles and prophets into speak or other apostles and prophets, if they're using their books, these are all other things that you can look out for. Very well stated. And folks, the book is outstanding. I've read it cover to cover. I can't always do that. It's in my online store, Olive Tree Views. Dot org counterfeit kingdom the dangers of new revelation new prophets and new age practices in the church co-authored by holly pivick who joins me today from alaska and douglas guyvet who has been on staff now retired talbot seminary just a couple of comments i would like to make that i might play one more clip and then we need to talk about the bethel music it's played by most churches hillsong elevation I opened the whole program with a little clip. It happened to be taking place in the UK. Some young people were grave soaking and showed the clip. They're hugging the grave of Smith Wigglesworth. Benny Johnson, wife of now deceased Benny Johnson, wife of Bill Johnson, is very much a proponent of that. If you ask somebody at Bethel, do they embrace this? They may say no, 
But there are many, many pictures online that reveal that is not the truth, that in fact they are participating and advocating for going to the graves of deceased saints. In this case, it was Smith Wigglesworth and trying to soak up their spirit from the dead body. It's gross, quite frankly. It's hardly theologically sound. Then we talked a little bit here about this dominionism kingdom now. And I have often said, if you're looking for a new church, please find one that teaches premillennial dispensationalism. This whole dominionism kingdom now is another stream of theology. Way, way off. We're going to bring heaven to earth and make it perfect. That is impossible. Jesus makes it very near perfect in the millennium. And then we get to the new heavens and the new earth where there's no more crying. Everything is totally perfect in the new heavens and the new earth. Doesn't happen before that, folks. And then just a quick reminder that back in 2018, I did have Dirk and Joan Miller on this program. You can find that program posted to my website, June of 2018. Dirk and Joan Miller from the Twin Cities lost their daughter to Bethel Church in Reading. They tell the story over two programs that you can go to my website and then go to radio and find June of 2018. And they tell a very, very similar story to what Holly Pivick and Doug Guyvett have been saying for the entire hour today about the dangers and the cult-like behavior of those who are participating in the New Apostolic Reformation. I'm going to play a clip of a young woman by the name of Lindsay Davis. She was a part of the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries, which some, both participating and past participants, would call Hogwarts, so that should tell you something, and she's going to relate her experience there. Sadly, I am told that Lindsay Davis may be going back into the stream. That's another story. We're not going to get into that right now. Like I was saying before, I think that it started when I came to visit, because when I asked about what these manifestations were, what's going on in the room, someone said, well, have you fully surrendered to God? And I thought, um, I think so. I, you know, I, I've trusted in Christ. And what does that mean? And they're like, well, ha sometimes you just have to let go. All right. Well, what does let go mean? How can I let go to experience God in this way that you guys are experiencing God? And she said, well, do you think that it's possible that because of your past experience, you have a religious spirit? And I thought, hmm. oh my gosh, what if there's something wrong with me? And after that conversation, I went to a student's house and she was with her roommates from BSSM. And they told me that they could bring me into this encounter with my angels. And I didn't know what that meant either. And they said, well, you can visibly see your angels. And for maybe two hours, they were trying to get me to visibly see my angels. And I found myself on their couch, just bawling my eyes out because I was breaking down over the fact that I couldn't see my angels. And after that moment, I think I had this, you know, it was obviously a false realization, but I came to this point where I was like, these people have something that I don't have. A special, a special, and we've seen it too with all the cults that we've dealt with. There's yeah. always a special secret, secret knowledge. knowledge. I mean, the same thing too um, with all our conversations with uh, people who come out of Mormonism. Holly, you want to comment on what we just heard here? That's very disturbing. What she reports that she saw firsthand and witnessed while she was a BSSM student at Bethel. That's Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, BSSM. Yes. 
it's a three-year program where students go essentially to learn to become miracle workers. And about 13,000 students now have graduated from Bethel School Supernatural Ministry. So it's a very large school that attracts students literally from around the world. Many have become high-profile leaders in this movement. They've gone out and taken what they've learned there, and they're now taking it back to their churches and are bringing these practices back. We have a whole chapter in our book where we talk about new age practices in the church. Yes. And a lot of this has been introduced through Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and then people taking these teachings back into their church. Doug, you want to comment, please? Bill Johnson says, this is a quote, we're exporters. I don't ever want to change that. Let's get a model that can be duplicated anywhere in the world and let's take it somewhere. And let's plant it. Let's plant it through Jesus culture. Let's plant it through the music we write. Let's plant it through the conferences that we do. This is a part of a strategic effort to duplicate the Bethel experience globally. And one of the concerns that I have about this, apart from the fact that I think it's dangerous for those in immediate contact with it, is that people are making comparisons now with what they think is a proper measure of the work of God in the church represented by Bethel and other churches in that stream. And they're using that as a litmus test for the churches that they attend or they grew up in, in some other place in the world. There is no comparison. I think that this model that Bill Johnson is describing here, he uses that word model, is conjured by them to be distinctive so that there is a stark contrast between what they're offering people and they believe people want to experience and what is going on in very sound churches worldwide, and people are comparing their experience with what's being offered, what I think is a mythology about what's really going on, and thinking, my church is missing the boat here. And yet, our teachers in our churches are not alert enough to this dynamic that's going on in the hearts of their own people. As they sit there and they sing, for example, songs produced by the Bethel Music label during their corporate worship, they have to be thinking, but what we're singing is not what we're experiencing. Where can I go to experience what we're talking about? And that is an invitation to leave and go elsewhere, and that elsewhere might be on this pilgrimage to the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries that so many have taken. And so there are various ways in which sound churches are undermining their own efforts because they're not vigilant about the encroachment of this movement, even within their own midst. Since you've now referenced, and let's use it as a segue, you've referenced the music here, and you write about it extensively in the book. You've got some bullet points here. What should I do if my church is using NAR music? Next bullet point you've got. How do I share my concerns about the music with my pastor? Let's talk about it here for just a moment, because Someone has said, forgive me if I don't have the person's name, has said that they're using the music as a gateway drug and that the whole movement is to be exported to the whole world. But they're going to use the vehicle of music to export it to the whole world. It's not just Bethel. I mean, there's Hillsong, Jesus Culture, IHOP, Gateway, Elevation. So let me go back to your book, Holly, and I'm looking at two questions. What should I do if my church is using NAR music? Let's stop right there and have you address that. We are actually asked this question all the time by people who contact us. One thing we say is that people should never feel obliged to sing along with a song in a church service if they haven't first had a chance to determine if they actually agree with what they're singing, with the lyrics of that song. 
will actually honor God to be careful to make sure what you're seeing is true. And people shouldn't make the mistake of assuming that because a church is using a song that is necessarily biblically sound, because often worship leaders are young, they might lack theological training, they really need to evaluate for themselves whether they think the lyrics of a song align with the truth of Scripture or not. Doug, do you want to comment on this as well? Because the other angle of this is that churches that play the music are financing the groups that we've named that are clearly not sound. It is true that churches subscribe to and pay a fee in order to be able to use the music. Worship leaders, when they put the music up on the screen, they're supposed to note that the copyright belongs to Bethel Music or whatever label was producing it. There's some even very modest advertising for Bethel if they're doing that as they're seeing this up on the screen. But people figure this out. They know this Bethel Music. When I was first exploring this dimension of NAR and visiting churches for various reasons, not investigating them, but I might be there with friends or family, it would interest me to determine how often I could guess correctly that a song that we were singing was a Bethel song or a song from another label that produced NAR-influenced music. After a while, you do pick up a sense of this from the lyrics. It's not just the sound. It's probably the whole package. But if you become attuned to their teachings, you will be able to tell oftentimes the source of a song and its lyrics and be remarkably accurate in picking out what those are. These songs purport, in effect, to convey revelation. They include declarations so that if you're singing them, you are, in effect, engaging in declaration prayer, which is not a biblical form of prayer at all. And it's building expectation for the miraculous and the visitation of the Spirit in the prophetic. And this is intentional. This is quite intentional. But it's subtle because a lot of the language that's used is familiar to people who've grown up around the church, but not associated those specific teachings with that language. So even if you unpack the lyrics and you read them carefully, if you're not familiar with the system that they derive from, you might not realize what is intended here. But as Johnson has said, this is another quotation from him, music bypasses all of the intellectual barriers. And when the anointing of God is on a song, people will begin to believe things they wouldn't believe through teaching. What he's saying is, I could teach you what we believe, but you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to pack our songs with the same stuff, and now it's going to slip in under the radar, and you're going to think this is wonderful, and it's a source of intimate relationship with God. This is a concern, of course, that we have. And yes, you're not only funding the production of their music, but you're funding basically all of Bethel ministry, helping to subsidize the continuous dissemination of these teachings globally to unsuspecting people just subscribing to their music as part of your corporate worship. And by the way, this happens even with what might appear to be the most innocent of songs. So many people have said, I think it's okay as long as we're screening the lyrics and we can pick those songs that are beautiful and experientially moving but sound theologically, and we'll just leave out the others. But the problem is it's still a campaign and bringing visibility to this movement and directing people and their hearts to something different than what you intend. I'm reading a paragraph from your book. The category is tuning out NAR music. You write, this is again in the book that we carry, Counterfeit Kingdom. 
though NAR music has taken churches by storm, and Holly and Doug, you're writing this, there have been some encouraging signs of pushback. A growing number of Christian leaders aware of the dangers of NAR music have publicly spoken out against its use by churches. And you say one pastor's sermon warning about Bethel music was posted to YouTube and received several million views. I actually played that clip here on the program some years ago. You go on to say recording artist and worship leader so-and-so of Refined Church in Tennessee posted on Facebook about why she felt convicted to end her use of music from bands she believed to be compromised. Again, her post went viral, receiving more than 10,000 shares, and her story was picked up by Christian news outlets, including the Christian Post. People are waking up, and that's how you close that paragraph, and I think that's the point you're making. And thanks to you folks and some others who are speaking out, it's true. Some folks are waking up. Holly, let me address this last question to you, and it's from your book. What to do if your son or daughter becomes ensnared in the new apostolic reformation? Take two minutes and encourage some parents here who need to hear from you. We advise parents to gently challenge their children to support their newfound beliefs with scripture and with solid evidence, but that can be difficult in many cases because as we've already talked about, in some cases, children have cut their parents off or they're not communicating with their parents very much. So their relationship is strained and it can be very difficult to talk with them. So it's very important to broach these issues with sensitivity and the right timing is essential. So what we say in our book is that if either of us had a child who was communicating with us only briefly and not really talking too much with us about our narbles, we'd probably really just focus at that point on nurturing the relationship, making sure they know how much we love and care about them, that we're always there for them. And sometimes it might not be a time when they're ready to listen. It might take them to actually experience some harm and some hurt from this movement or to be let down by the leaders of this movement before they're willing to listen. But in the meantime, parents can use that time to really brush up on what NAR churches teach and to be prepared with how to respond to these teachings so that when their child is ready to discuss it with them, then they're actually ready and prepared and they know the scriptures to use. So when the timing is right, another thing we talk about is how using questions is a really powerful strategy for helping someone really think through their beliefs, no matter what their beliefs are. But in this case, they can use questions with their child and ask them, so-and-so, you think Bill Johnson's an apostle? Why do you believe he's an apostle? What has he done to demonstrate that? What does scripture teach about the requirements for being an apostle? Or if they believe a certain prophet has worked miracles, we can say, well, have you seen those miracles themselves? What evidence do you have for believing those were genuine miracles? Just ask really good questions, like Greg Kokel tactic style, for those people who are familiar with Greg Kokel's great book. Really put a pebble in their shoes by asking good questions that hopefully, even if you think they're not listening to you, maybe your child will go home and keep thinking about those questions. But always bring the conversation back to the Bible, and that's really effective because People in our claim to have a high regard for scripture, so they really shouldn't shy away from attempting to support their beliefs with scripture. And don't let them just point to a verse, you know, and use it out of context. Gently challenge them to see if they are using verses without regard for the context. And then, of course, people should always pray for their child's eyes to be open uh, to deception. And that's something they can do even if their child isn't communicating with them. All of this info and so much more, again, found in the new book, Counterfeit Kingdom. And by the way, Holly has several other books on the same topic, at least similar topic, NAR, 
Find the other books at hollypivec.com. You can correspond there. You can write to Doug at Doug Givett, G-E-I-V-E-T-T dot com. If you want to debate or ask questions, please feel free to. I want to thank you both so much for giving up an hour here today. Again, you can find the book in my online store, olivetreeviews.org. Call my office, get on our newsletter list. Let me just go out of the program. In his New Testament letter, Jude outlines how to recognize apostasy and strongly urges those in the body of Christ to contend earnestly for the faith, Jude 1.3. Moreover, Jude makes it clear that every Christian is called to this fight, so it's critical that all believers sharpen their discernment skills so that they can recognize and prevent apostasy in their midst and to identify it, also to protect the sheep from the wolves that are proliferating in these last days. I want to thank you for listening, folks, and we'll talk to you again next week. Contact us through our website, olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. Call us Central Time at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. You get our mail when you write to Olive Tree Ministries in Jan Markell, Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. That's Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. It is a challenge to be born for such a time as this, but God remains in control. He has engraved you on the palm of his hand, and today's events occur because God is causing all things to fall into place.